3: Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrest Sandu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple: it's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by enthusiasm for life, by great creation itself. Keep the good vibes flowing. For myself and yourself, do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, and we have with us today someone that has beyond inspired my evolution, Darpan. How are you, brother?
2: Blessed to be here. Thank you, Amrit.
3: Oh, I'm blessed. We are blessed, are we, to have you here, Brother Bear. For those yeah. that are tuning in with DARPS for the first time, and I did it again, I called him DARPS. I did this in the last episode as well. I was going to say this, though. There is another episode. Please do go check it out. Um, it's been a gorgeous conversation. It started to travel around the world, actually. Lots of people have tuned in. I think it's almost up to about 10,000 people have tuned into that conversation already, um, which is quite uh i don't want to say surprising but inspiring for me just feeling into the depths of the ground that we cover in the conversations that we do have yeah. we spoke a lot about awakening and especially the yummy conversation was about our role of self awakening whilst this collective is sort of shifting and what is our role and yes. responsibility in that which i thought was um It was a a powerful conversation for me, nonetheless. I can't speak on behalf of everybody, but it is being soaked up by the community very well, I would say. If you are tuning into Dark Band for the first time, singer, uh, multi-instrumentalist, there we go, I got that word out, it's a bit of a tongue twister, neo-shaman, travelling the world extensively, delivering concerts, sound healing seminars and shamanic retreats. But deeply, the most important part is that I find he is actually living the message that he's sharing through his teachings. He's an inspirational speaker, gifted musician. His background is in psychology, works with Enlightened Mystic, Uh, he's worked with Enlightened Mystic Osho in the past and he's got a lot of teachings from there. Recently, Daps, you've uncovered, um, you found yourself a new teacher as well and I'm really inspired to actually understand because I sort of see you as a mentor to myself in many ways and it's interesting how the roles of mentorship open up um, in our world i'm curious to sort of understand having been on this path for so long in terms of being involved in your own personal evolution and supporting the evolution of so many others how does one sort of i need a better way of articulating this but i'm going to go there separate the wheat from the shaft when they're looking for someone that is the real deal when it comes to actually supporting them on their journey to the next step
2: Excellent question. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, w- when I was with Osho, um, mm-hmm. Osho, was I was with Osho probably from the period of 1989 until 1991. Mm-hmm. Well, I met him in 1987, but I spent the two years in the ashram with him there. He was very clear, and I didn't come to Osho very easily mm-hmm. because in this lifetime I was determined to go, okay, I want to, Dedicate my life to awakening and to self-realization, but I don't want a guru. I don't want a teacher. I was really clear about that <laughs> because I, I was kind of in touch ha- through the plants of having had past lives with in ashrams, in mm. uh, spiritual communities, with teachers, and I thought, no, this lifetime I just want to explore through myself. Mm. And when I was younger, I didn't really understand what meditation was, or didn't hadn't really really even thought about a spiritual path but already there was an innate kind of attraction towards certain uh studies like theatrical studies i also as well as doing a psychology degree did a a degree in in theater studies and uh actually started acting dance Mm -hmm. and singing Mm -hmm. at flinders university the drama center there Mm -hmm. and for me the attraction to drama was not so much to be an actor or to you know get a job out of it. it was really an introduction to self-exploration I kind of using the self-emotional recall uh, that one does, uh, getting into the role of playing a character as an actor, mm-hmm. uh, observing people, how they behave, how they walk, their gestures, their patterns of speech, became a total fascination for mm-hmm. me. And in that sense, I was also watching myself, my own behavior, my yeah. own way of being, my own patterns. Mm-hmm. I remember Osho once said that acting is quite a very... Uh, quite a spiritual di- discipline because um, one is always when when playing a role as an actor 95 to 90 95 percent identified with that role mm-hmm. but there's always five to ten percent that is aware that you are the actor playing a role playing a character
1: mm-hmm. and
2: so it's good practice to start applying that in your day-to-day life <laughs> that you start to practice that perhaps I'm in this amazing play called life meeting mm-hmm. all these amazing people other characters mm-hmm. and that I am actually the watcher, the witness watching myself playing out the, my role as Darpan within the greater field or the canvas of life
1: mm-hmm. and
2: so in that sense it can be quite a spiritual exercise and I think that that's what was first attracted me to it. Mm-hmm. Later, I met, I, I met, you know, uh, Qigong masters, I worked a lot with Dr. Tennyson Yu who was taught in the Shaolin schools of, of, of uh, Taiwan. Mm-hmm. I knew all the forms and this to me was a development into further and then I discovered meditation mm. through the martial arts and that that was really what my attraction to the whole acting thing was I did work for like 20 to 25 years as a professional actor but it wasn't to become an actor that I really was attracted to it it was really because it was a, a way of self-exploration self-inquiry way yeah. of becoming aware self-inquiry exactly yeah and so anyway that led me to osho and to other teachers um who and osho used to say to me be very very aware when you are choosing a teacher Mm. first really check out the teacher really check out the teacher and and question the teacher and and you know like in a certain sense test them Mm. because it needs to be worthy of your own inquiry and some many uh you know students will not they'll just take you know oh, this is a great teacher go there and just submit whereas osha was very clear about that you must first develop the bond between the teacher the, the guru the teacher and the student or the disciple mm-hmm. and um, and that was certainly something that i did a lot because by the time that i found osha i was i i'd come there in a certain sense uh by accident because i wasn't looking for a guru or a master but a friend of mine who was already there said, look, you must come to the ashram and you're here in India, please come. So mm-hmm. I did. And, oh, my goodness, when I met the man, it was just like an instant recognition. And certainly I wasn't ready to become a, a disciple straight away. It was like I was. he was giving a, a talk on Zara, Thus Spake Zarathustra, which is a book by Nietzsche, who's a famous right. philosopher. Mm-hmm. And he, every night, would take us with these amazing discourses into the heights of intellectual... You know frequencies, but at the same time, I realized after a period of time being in the ashram that was just scratching the surface of who he was. That Mm. actually, what was really happening were the gaps, the silences in between the words. The words were there to just guide or to entrain your consciousness Mm. onto the words and what he was saying as a way of distilling the mind, so that the action which was actually happening in between the words could Mm. be transmitted. So your mind wasn't all busy. He was speaking to keep your mind. And so this was a great teaching for me. And when I realized by the end of that discourse, uh, the two or three months that I was there, I just went yes to to Osho because I felt that this man was absolutely genuine, totally coming from a place of where he was speaking from, as as if you like, a self-realized being. Mm. And I was aware also of the bad press and the controversy surrounding this man. Mm. And so it was even doubly careful that I checked him out but once that was done I, sub- I I totally surrendered to that, and it was one of the most greatest you know gifts that I've ever had in this life was to spend those few years with osho and so I say that you one does have to be very discerning and mm. be very careful when you choose a teacher now that's a really ultimate spiritual teacher of course if you're looking for a teacher in mathematics or how to play guitar or mm. any other discipline you can be a little you can be discerning but when you're dealing with somebody who's directing your life in terms of inspiration and holding you in that way, one needs to be very, very careful. And once that just uh, surrender has been made, then that bond between the master and the disciple, which is a a really a a mysterious bond. Mm -hmm. It's like the bond of love between two people. You can't really describe it, but it's of that same nature, but it's of a really spiritual frequency and it just being near the master one mm-hmm. learns through osmosis just mm-hmm. through being near that frequency just like when you tune a tuning fork play it and you bring another one towards it it starts vibrating at the same mm-hmm. and in that sense i learned from And of course the wonderful discourses and the teachings were a, a huge bonus but mostly it was through the frequency that he was transmitting so yeah i was lucky in that sense and when he left the body i thought okay great that's it for me no more that i'm so glad i came across Osho, but <laughs> now i'm on my own again and mm. i re- do feel that ultimately the teaching or the, the realization when it happens is within oneself mm. the teacher is almost ancillary to that like a mirror mm. but the teacher can't give you that self-realization mm. Osho used to say i'm just a finger pointing to the moon don't confuse the finger for the moon yeah, in right. other words you know just yeah. be aware of the ultimate goal always the teacher is the teacher but don't fixate on the teacher overly. Yeah, And the Buddha also said, if you meet the Buddha along the path, kill him. Yeah, because can, ultimately, yeah. that's what one has to do to one's teacher in order for that final step of liberation. Mm. To give you another little example, yeah. uh, when I was with Osho, he was like this massive big oak tree under mm. which we saplings grow very quickly and beautifully and strong mm. and protected and nurtured. But at a certain point in your growth, you went, What's hiding the sun? Something's blocking. Oh, it's this big oak tree. And you have to go whack, cut the oak tree to reach directly towards the sun. So that's why the Buddha said if you meet the Buddha along the path, kill him. Ultimately, that's what has to happen. You've got to give (laughs) with total love. Absolute gratitude (laughs) and total dedication.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I asked this question from a place where I think especially, and maybe it's a reflection of the time that we're in now, um, we seem to be, and we talked a lot about this in our last episode in terms of a time of transition, there seems to be a collective awakening underway and there seems to be more and more people stepping into the role of spiritual mentorship. Um, and yet, yeah, at the risk of sounding judgmental, um, the integrity piece, uh, you would hope that in the work of spirituality would be much more intact. Um, And yet you find in places here and again, more often than not, I'll touch with maybe that's me sounding jaded, um, it's not. Um, And so when you're making that decision, listening into your story, first of all, I heard the piece where initially you had this inner intuition and awareness that in this lifetime, your path was pretty much your own. Um, And then later when you did meet Osho, there felt like this, yes, you were scrupulous about it in certain way and you were discerning and the teacher actually even encouraged you to be discerning. Um, and then in some ways it, it felt like this, there was a feeling of love there, there was a feeling of an intuitive yes. Is it based on those intuitive sort of realms and those deeper sort of senses that you rely upon to sort of find your full body yes when certain things like this come, come across your path?
2: I think absolutely, yeah, that's the answer mm-hmm. for sure. Um, in my own case, as I said, I was a reluctant disciple. I wasn't yeah. looking for a master. I mm. just happened to come across by accident through a friend. Mm. And when it happened, it was, there was something deeply intuitive that was awakened, mm. something deep inside where there was a yes. There was, I know this. I recognize this. I know this flavor. I recognize the taste of this atmosphere mm. from whatever. Maybe it was past lives, but it was something very familiar. And it was a feeling like coming home. Yeah. And I think if you have that feeling with somebody, that's a good basis. If mm-hmm. you have that with a teacher, that's a good basis on which to proceed. I wouldn't stop there because there are, as you alluded quite rightfully, uh, there are many spiritual charlatans in the field. Mm-hmm. And even Osho was accused of being a spiritual charlatan. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that one has to go beyond the judgments of, of the mass Mm. Feel inside, feel that intuitive yes, and then really from one's own critical uh, faculties Mm. really test and see if this is the right person for you. Because what may be good for one person may not Mm. be the right for another. Having a teacher is a very, very individual fit, like Mm -hmm. a key into a lock. But not all keys fit all locks, you know. And so one has to find one that, that resonates deep within that activates the frequency within. And if that is the case, then it's. I think it's very good basis on which to proceed. However, if that's not there and one is merely being attracted from an intellectual curiosity or mm. from some sort of like intellectual, uh, you know, having been impressed by someone's writings, I would say that that's a, 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 an interesting start, but I wouldn't be basing to, de- to devote one's own being or to place one's mm. Uh, spiritual welfare into the hands of somebody who is just an intellectual curiosity. So I think that it's a very much an internal, very much an intuitive thing. And once that is there, one needs to bring one's own critical faculties to bear. Mm. I think it's very healthy to have a healthy dose of skepticism. I don't think to be completely fanatical or to be, you know, completely sold on uh, on just one meeting or just on a cursory. Uh, uh, appraisal is enough mm-hmm. i do think it's something as precious and as deep and as important as choosing a teacher one needs to be you know feel it on all levels it has to tick mm-hmm. all the boxes so to speak mm-hmm. yeah yeah
3: yeah thank you for sharing that you also you also mentioned the um i think that'll be very informative instructive for those tuning in and myself included one of the key things also you mentioned was this um this idea of story and the life that we live in, you know, your drama background, how there's that 5% of always being aware that I'm just, I'm, I'm in a story. And uh, I've explored the concept of story quite a bit, obviously trying to become a better interviewer, trying to make the interviews flow a certain way and, you know, have a bit of a, a storyline attached to them. And then also interviewing people in their lives and their journey and understanding that the hero's journey is such a prevalent arc uh, or archetype um, in so many people. And so much so that even tuning into I spent some time there, and uh, you might laugh at this. I spent some time transcending story. I was like, come on, I can transcend story. Like, I can transcend my story. And then I realised I was playing into the character that wants to leave the story, but it was still a character in a story trying to leave the story. (laughs) It was still... Isn't it amazing? it's, it's, (laughs) It's on all dimensions, right? So it's this really deep... And I guess the question in there is, and this is sort of the heart of what I was hoping to sort of dive deeper into today, was learning to trust your story when there is you know potentially in life there is you know there is suffering there is beauty um there is so much on the way of this journey um that we inhabit that we call life and certain people come and certain people go what we believe is before our time some people say that was exactly what their time was um there are these cycles in the story every story has a beginning a middle and an end and honouring and acknowledging the work that you do, facilitating, you know, people moving through these cycles so deeply um, and holding such awareness for them. I guess the question for me is really how do we how do we embrace these cycles when potentially we face discomfort in the face of them? Um, namely, for, for me personally, the, the one around death recently has been very present. Um, I've had members in my community losing people that they dearly love, which you know, has been, I've lost people in the past as well. And not to say that that didn't affect me, but I think as we get older, it also brings into the frame our own mortality um, a little bit more crisply. And watching that has been really interesting um, in terms of how that's reframing my own personal relationship with what life is. Um, Yeah, how do you, or for yourself, or how do you encourage either question would be fine um, to answer like, People coming to more levels of acceptance with these cycles that are part of the story of life.
2: Yeah, amazing. That really cuts at the heart of the human story, the human, the human, yeah, story. Our own his story, his story. Mm. You know, the, the where we come from, where we are, where mm. we're going. I think stories, since time immemorial, have been uh, you know excellent ways to give a conceptual understanding of where we stand not only with ourselves, but with the other, with our society, with our friends, our, our, our larger society within the world. Um, stories have always captured the imagination of human beings. Mm. And as such, they are an amazing tool. Like stories can evoke all kinds of, I mean, I think the oldest memories that we have as a human collective is sitting around the campfire telling stories. Or you know when the men would come back from the hunt and they would reenact the killing of the bison, or mm. you know defending themselves against a saber-toothed tiger, or mm. whatever the story was. And these acts of heroism that would be told, as stories around the fire, was really actually, since we've mentioned it already, the birthplace of theatre.
1: Mm. It was where
2: the first theatre came, and mm-hmm. theatre really is the is the place, uh, uh, an accepted place where we all come. To be told stories mm. of the human condition stories of happiness stories of sadness stories of of great heroic deeds, stories of tragedy comedy mm. i mean these are part of the human pantheon of human experience and as such catalyze consciousness in a way that nothing else does i mean stories have evolved since the days of of the campfire now we're watching videos video games you know soon vr yeah. 3d dimensional reality is all an extrapolation of sitting around the campfire telling the story of what happened that day and really it is and yeah. so it's a very ancient thing and if you go yeah. into any of the ancient indigenous cultures like the aboriginal culture for example the yeah. whole notion of the dream time yeah. the story of the creator beings creating the earth creating the song lines along which all boundaries and all conditions for the human li- living were, mm. were established. Mm-hmm. So they're very, very uh, important also for setting legal, social, ethical and moral boundaries and conditions within which we can coexist with each other. Mm. So stories serve multiple uh, purposes. Yeah. It tells us our place within the universe, within our earth, within, in relation to our society in relation to ourselves, in relation to our family. And it also um, is there to teach, to show, to embellish, to instruct Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: to to educate. But all stories, I think, are a a kind of a reflection or a, yeah, a reflection is a good word. If we see consciousness as a mirror, all reflections within the mirror are an expression of the mirror. The stories are not the mirror, but they Mm -hmm. are an expression of the mirror. Once you take the object away from the mirror it's just blank the quality of the mirror is limpidity clarity and purity Mm -hmm. and so it is with consciousness if we see ourselves as that five to ten percent witnessing awareness that I alluded to earlier Mm -hmm. this is how in meditation we watch our emotions we watch our thoughts we watch our feelings and you know when you're meditating I'm sure everyone who's meditated has encountered this that no matter how much you try to watch the breath and let go of thoughts it's just a question of time before you're starring in your own big movie. <laughs> you're a legend in your own mind. Things are happening. And suddenly, you go, oh my God, I'm lost in thoughts again. Come back, come yeah. back to the breath, because the mind loves stories. Mm-hmm. The mind lives and breathes and and nourishes itself mm-hmm. in stories. Mm-hmm. And so that's hence Hollywood. Why it's so popular? It's yeah. the fantasy factory, the factory mm-hmm. where we invent and create stories to. Uh, coag to, to, you know, like to, to capture the human mind. Mm-hmm. But in the end, stories are just stories. Mm-hmm. They are products of the mind. They are not the consciousness themselves. They're not the mirror. The mirror merely reflects the stories. And so I see our pure consciousness, that witness state, that really tiny voice that is often drowned out by the din of existence. But if we tune in, it's always there. Always there's the watcher, always there's the witness, aware that in this moment I'm talking to Amrit Sandhu on mm. this, on his beautiful thing, inspired evolution. That mm. is always there, although it can be at moments when I totally identify with the story that mm. I forget that 5 to 10% awareness. Mm. And that's the case for, for many human beings on the planet today, that they've forgotten that silent witness. They've forgotten that they are the mirror. And mm. so stories become paramount. And so when becomes fully identified with the story, one loses the awareness that it is just a story and that stories serve a purpose, but they're not the be all and end all. In our identification with the story, we come to be enveloped by the story and we forget who we truly are. Mm. So stories are there to educate, to teach, to instruct, to inspire, to entertain and fulfill all of these multiple functions. But... All the time, it is also giving us the awareness that I am not the story. Mm. These are reflections in the mirror. These are reflections of my mirror, of my consciousness, which is the perceiving aspect mm. of the story. Because a story is not a story unless there's someone to perceive to, the story, yeah. to hear the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, in that synergy between the, mm. the witness and the mm. story, we uh, become conscious. We are aware that we are in the story, that we are living a story, that our life is a story. And as such, it's a beautiful thing. But always that witness state is the mirror, is beyond the story, is always anchored in the now, this moment, here. This is the only place that ever lives. Even when that consciousness reflects back into the past or projects Mm -hmm. forward into the future, is always happening within the context of now. And so this is where we come back to the mirror and then stories can be the most wonderful uh, devices to, mm. as I say, teach, heal, inspire, instruct, educate. And yet at the same time, the point of power is in realizing that it is just a story. And that stories will evolve as our consciousness evolves. Mm. The same stories that happened, that were important to people four 5,000 years ago, are perhaps not appropriate now. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in the future, Perhaps there'll be different stories than we have now. The stories will evolve as we evolve, and mm. so they are a tool. They are just a story in the end, it's just yeah. a story. <laughs> yeah,
3: I love that. The reality and is now. The interesting piece to that is that there are definitely some stories that can empower us, and there are also stories like story as a, a like you said, they're they're just a story and they're a tool, but they can also be. I guess, in some ways, harnessed to distract us in some ways as well, um, depending on what type of story we're tuning into. One of the easy, low-hanging fruits I can sort of reach for there is this idea of, you know, uh, original sin, you know, as a story for us to feel into. it's like, I came here and me even being here is wrong. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you know, and I'm not throwing stones at an entire faith. I think the faith is beautiful, um, but I think as a as a concept as a deep part of the story like what is that really you know walking your life as even if you just look at a plant and you were just saying to it you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong. There's been enough experiments sort of looking at plants growing with like. You know, being told that they are love being told that they hate and sort of how they grow, you know, we, we would treat ourselves as you know I deserve banishment from this place from the outset I don't even deserve to be <laughs> It's like a really intense really intense programming to witness.
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, and to take your example of the mythological story, the classic mm. one that we were inculcated with, I was brought up a Roman Catholic, so, yeah, I was guilty from the day I was born. <laughs> I was carrying original sin, which was committed by Eve and Adam, in a mythological yeah. garden, at which they were unceremoniously kicked out of by a mm. fairly je- vengeful God. Yeah. And, uh, Cheated guy. <laughs> and I think that story may have been appropriate, may or may not have been, but it was a story that, that catalyzed the human consciousness for a long time, many thousands mm. of years and, and and that story is a good example of one that I think that we 're in the in the process of transcending mm. not just the message of Christianity or of Judaism is not good i 'm not saying that at all. I absolutely mm. think there's great truths and benefits in those religions. however, the stories that we uh, were told by mm-hmm. you know that I was told by my priests and nuns, uh, is no longer appropriate for my growth. That's yeah. how I've come to it. I'm not mm. saying that's not like that for other people. It's a very individual thing. But for me, I've started to seek new stories mm. that's, that reflect the truth of where my consciousness is at right now, yeah. rather than adopting old archaic stories that may have been useful at the time that they were really operative, but have since passed their use-by date and are perhaps even playing a retarding factor. Mm. <laughs> in consciousness today mm. and um, and so look one you're quite right stories can be used to inspire open mm. and educate or it can be also they can be used to close and confine mm. and to keep one in a certain state of consciousness mm-hmm. everything in this reality is dualistic we live within the polarity of up and down this and that in and out good and evil right and wrong and so all things in our reality can have a positive and a negative aspect Mm. and this is where stories can be used in a very positive way to open up consciousness to free consciousness, to liberate consciousness and there are certain stories that can be given to dampen or to contain or confine consciousness to a certain narrow uh way of being and Mm. so stories have the power to do both if you like to use those words good and evil Mm-hmm. So, the stories we choose for our children, for our society, for ourselves as we evolve, are crucial mm-hmm. to our own development. And if we have our positive develop in, development in mind, mm. then we will choose stories that are appropriate to that unfolding and not accept stories that are perhaps diminishing or mm-hmm. keeping us in a place that we are evolving or transcending, evolving out of or transcending from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they can be have both. It's like a knife, a knife can be useful. It can cut bread mm. or a knife can stab you and kill you. Mm. It's not the knife's fault. The mm. knife is just a knife. It's yeah. the consciousness who wields the knife, the one who cuts the bread or does the stabbing that is responsible for whether uh, something good or bad results uh, as mm. a result of those actions. So again, the ultimate responsibility lies with the consciousness that ourselves the mirror because mm. the story is just an extrapolation of the values and the intention of that consciousness
3: yeah
2: i love that yeah mm.
3: thank you for bringing it home to that. one of the segues that um may not be super apparent but is kind of where i want to go is this conversation in around rites of passage i've noticed in our life we don't necessarily have especially these days, it seems like we're more disconnected from rites of passage than we've ever been. And, you know, the segue being that, you know, when you live a story, you live a certain archetype, you can sort of see that, okay, this was, you know, the, the, the boy, this was the man, this is now, you know, as we grow into, the Hindus had four different stages of life, you know, and then ultimately you renounce and you had these clear rites of passages which you underwent, undertook, um, provided you some structure within the life that you were navigating. Um, but yeah, being disconnected to that from some degree, well, especially in the West here, I remember my 18th birthday was much the same as my 21st birthday, which were my key rites of passage. And all I really did was destroy my liver, um, uh, <laughs> to put it politely, yeah, and, <laughs> you know, and I look back and I go, it wasn't until I remember, well, fondly, but also intensely the, the first time I came and sat with you at a retreat was that was my first rite of passage um and it was profound to put it the least and also harrowing in many ways as well um as a man so these these challenges that we experience that are necessary to sort of transition from one phase of life to the next um what's your reflection on rite of passage and potentially the ceremony around rite of passage and our alienation from it in this time and potentially what are some of the consequences of that
2: yeah, no, absolutely great you brought that to the table, Andrew. This is at the heart, the very core of the alienation, the separation that we're experiencing as a culture in the western psyche in in the, as a, in the western culture. Mm. It's this and I think it stems right back from what you mentioned earlier, the mythology of being, you know, unceremoniously banished mm. from the garden, which could be seen as, you know, full consciousness. Uh, into toil and labor and and living a life and dying and death and illness and disease, which was the story that we grew up with, that that's what happened. And, and, uh, well, this in itself was a rite of passage. Uh, You know, the rite of passage in our society, in most Indigenous, let's start with Indigenous cultures. In most Indigenous cultures, they embody and embrace the very important role, the crucial role that rite of passage plays. Mm. And again, it's, it's it comes down to stories. It's like discarding the old stories, which were appropriate mm. when you were younger, or a child, dependent upon mother and father, uh, let's say a, a rite of passage of, of a woman into womanhood or a man into manhood, to let those go mm. and, and to transcend them, to take the responsibility to enter and uh, accept a larger story, a bigger mm. perspective, to take your rightful place in society as a, as a, you know, a responsible, mm. conscious custodian of, of the law, lore, L-O-R-E, of the society that you live in. And so these were really prof- you know, profoundly uh, important to the indigenous cultures. Well, we in the West have lost that. Yeah. We've lost our, our rights of passage into not just into coming into manhood, into sexuality, into the shift to change of life, and because, as you say, you did it, you know, and got a bad liver out of it. You know, I grew up, the rite of passage I had was to drive my parents' car at very high speeds around the town doing ridiculously dangerous things. Things, yeah. You know, um, as a way of creating a dangerous situation in order to feel like we're, we are grown up. Oh, we've got mm-hmm. a license. We've got, you know, but of course, these are fraught with danger and peril. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I kind of look back and I think, wow, I'm so lucky that I survived my youth, because we did some crazy things. As a, as a, and I look back and I see it's a form of an attempt at self-initiation. Mm. And sadly, this is, the, this is the state that most people are in. And ma- most people, that don't have the courage to do that, remain in the state of being kind of an infantile or a puerile consciousness. You only have to go to Parliament House on any given day and just observe the proceedings there to realise what it is to see great examples of beings that are in bodies that are 70 or eighty, you know, 60 to 80 years old and yet having the consciousness of a 12 or a 13-year-old because there was no rite of passage. They still embody. It's like freeze frame at school. It's like the school bully still holds sway in the Parliament House. Yeah. Everybody's doing what their mates are doing. They're not really listening to the bill. They're mm-hmm. voting along party lines and they're in a club. They no, mm. they're not acting as conscious individuals. And I was shocked when I was working for the um, theater ACT back in the 80s. I went to Parliament House and a couple of days I thought I want to go and see how our judicial process is, how our you know, parliamentary process is. And I was actually really shocked to see mm. old men, grown men acting like, you know, schoolyard children. And this is a direct result of not having proper rites of passage or initiations inculcated into our system, into our, into our growth. We have, you know, schools, education, universities, but there is no, no one addresses in our society the emotional or spiritual unfolding. Yes, there is the intellectual unfolding and the mm-hmm. physical unfolding, but the emotional and spiritual unfolding is stunted and dwarfed as a result of omitting to address them Mm. you know it's not it hasn't seemed important to the intellectual mind to address the emotions in Mm. fact the intellectual mind views the emotions with great suspicion Mm. because they can't be relied upon because they keep changing and because you know they're they're volatile and they're unpredictable and so the Mm. kind of mind because we've overly developed our left brain in in our society in the western society to the expense of the right brain, which is the holistic, poetic, emotional, holistic really? part of our consciousness. And so we have a kind of a dwarfed or a stunted, uh, uh, kind of existence and which mm. accounts for a lot of the separation, and the alienation that people feel when they live in cities. For example, there is no tribe. Mm. People don't really know who their next door neighbor is in a the city. They might know them by name to say hi, as you walk out the door, but mm. you don't really know that person. You're living in a little island with yourself or your spouse or your children and there's no connection to tribe. There mm. is no connection to celebration which affirms the human spirit and the connectivity and the bond that comes from being together as a tribe or a mm. unit or a pod, call it what you will. And so we suffer the, the spiritual and psychological malaise which is the result of the omission of the importance of rite of passage in our society. And I think this is being addressed. I mean, my son, I brought him to a friend of mine, Arna, he runs his uh, journeys for, you know, into manhood for young Mm. men, boys of 13 to 15. And that was a really great start. It was really Mm. great to see that people are starting to create these with each other. But it's still not what you'd call the norm in our society. Yeah, no. And definitely. I see this result in my son—the the, the that he has at nineteen—I could have only dreamed about when I was <laughs> nineteen, because yeah. he has had the capacity and the and the permission and the possibility to explore uh, what it means to become a man from from being a young child. And there was a clear demarcation, as there is with any indigenous culture, when you go through the initiation, which necessarily involves facing danger. There is the death Mm. of one's old self and there is the rebirth into the new conscious uh, custodian capable of being responsible for the well-being of the society or the tribe. And Mm. this is sadly lacking in our society, but uh, it's being addressed and it's being redressed, Mm. I think, in certain parts of the sectors of the society. And you can definitely see the benefit of these things. And, you know, if you want to extrapolate even further, I mean, that's another topic again, but mm. you've probably heard me talk about it before, is that I believe that right now on the planet, we mm. are, have entered into a collective rite of passage, one mm. that has great import for the outcome of us as a human family and as a human collective. And I believe that how we comport ourselves within this, collective rite of passage will determine our, uh, the result of, of having passed through that. Whether we evolve and become again responsible custodians, conscious custodians of planet Earth, of Mother mm-hmm. Gaia, or whether we become entrained into a totalitarian society because we were not able to step up and take responsibility and claim sovereignty over our, one's own being. So I do believe this happens on macro and micro levels. It's certainly there are various steps of initiation within our own life, you know, like the first time one makes love, that you break your virginity is a rite of passage. And mm-hmm. how that is conducted will uh, have ramifications going right into all of our relationships. Mm-hmm. So these are very, very key moments in our development and, and as such extremely important and deserve utmost focus and attention. And I, and I think, I'm hoping and, and that this is exactly what we... Uh, Part of our collective rite of passage will involve is Mm. the embracing consciously of ourselves and of our children and of our collective our society to uh to re to re-enter the garden if you like Mm. we are being welcomed back into that garden we were unceremoniously kicked out of and the opportunity is there but it's up to us whether we can find the place of freedom and sovereignty and therefore take responsibility for ourselves and for our our family, our tribe, our pod, our greater society. If we can do this, I believe we're about to enter into an enlightened vision of how human beings can live together on this planet. If we do not pass this rite of passage, I shudder to think. Uh, mm. d- dreadful things could happen. If we enter into a nuclear war, for example, we get thrown back into the Stone Age to yeah. start again. See if the next time we can come to that point where we can actually, you know, transcend Mm. our old prejudices, our old beliefs, our old paradigms, limiting concepts, and step up into being conscious custodians of Mother Earth, fully uh, able to take full responsibility. This is how I see it.
3: Thank you so much for sharing that. One of the things that dropped in for me as you were sharing that was also the realisation that there is a, and I think I alluded to this a little bit earlier, and I'm finding my own answers as you're sharing, which is always what happens in your satsangs for me anyway, personally, so thank you, um, was this piece around our disconnect from our rites of passage and potentially having those incrementally along our way, and this certain pronounced fear and anxiety that many people struggle with when it comes to facing death. And I know that's a deep, dark topic, but learning to walk, you've mentioned this many times, Ram Dass' favourite quote in previous songs where I've sat with with you, in terms of, you know, we are just walking each other home and that realisation that actually, you know, we're here and we're walking home and that home is on the other side of that rite of passage, which is to leave this dimension, this plane, the end of this particular story as we're consciously aware of it into the next thing, whatever that may be. Now, one of the things that just dropped in for me was, me being disconnected from the rites of passages and I almost looked at it somewhat humorously. There used to be this time where debt used to only, like financial debt used to only last seven years, and then you used to shed it, and then they would like, and then you'd try again, and then seven years later, whether you did well or you did bad, you'd, you wouldn't know any more of your debtors, right? I sort of saw rites of passage, like like a story debt, and it's like this identity and this story served me up until this rite of passage didn't work for me. I can shed it and move into the next one. Let's try again, you know, and give yourself a few bites at the apple for getting it right. Um, but then also using that, like recognising that that's a, it's a, a training tool actually for me being able to have these rites of passage to then recognise the ultimate right of passage for this avatar, this consciousness that I'm inhibiting and like inhabiting at the final frontier of this life, which will be death and realising I will be able to identify that as a rite of passage if I've had rites of passage and realising how much healthier my relationship with that could be, as opposed to the current fear and anxiety that everybody generally well not everybody, but the majority of people actually experience around that. That was really profound for me um, and that's just i am probably bumbling a little bit, but it's really what's distilling in um, for me as an awareness in this conversation right now. The question that is the low hanging fruit that I would love to ask you personally Darpán, is having held this awareness around the lack of initiation um and lack of uh, aware, uh lack of um rites of passage initiation is probably the right word um how do you go about initiating yourself is there such thing as self-initiation or is other required and collective society required for it does, is self-initiation even a thing and if so how does one go about such a thing
2: mm-hmm. i think self-initiation definitely is a thing However, often when we talk about it, it's within the context of a group or a society. Mm. However, that is one extrapolation, one expression of of rite of passage. However, it can also be done on a personal, internal level. Absolutely quite right. And I think that most beings who have been born into our society, who um, were not the recipients of an appropriate rite of passage, at some point or other in their spiritual growth, in the growth as human beings, if that is their purpose, one will encounter the need for self-initiation. And this can take many, many forms, as as many forms as one could imagine. I mean, a classic example would be, uh, you know, responsible use of sacred plants, for example. Mm. If one was to self-initiate in that way, that's a profound opening that is requires utmost respect. And respect usually involves the possibility of, you know, danger. If, mm-hmm. if, if, some, if, the, if the undertaking is not done with the correct intention or the correct way, that's why the respect is there. Because um, with any, anything with self-initiation, I think it comes naturally. If you were to be studying alchemy, for example, uh, any discipline, but let's take alchemy, and you were reading all the books and studying all the history of alchemy and you were starting to do experiments and working with yourself you know, turning the lead the base consciousness aspiring to making it into gold which mm-hmm. is a high frequency consciousness of course there are going to be uh, ways along the way where one is going to through the very dint of the fact of one's study one's commitment one's intention initiation will happen of its own volition mm-hmm. existence will conspire to create the conditions within which, um, that initiation can occur. And mm. often it, it is caused by ourselves, but below the level of conscious awareness. Mm. It is this, the confluence of synchronous events catalyzed by the, uh, by the deep, uh, by the consciousness of one's own consciousness that create the situation. It's like the situation when they say, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Mm. This, is a, this is a situation where in, if one catalyzes one's consciousness in a certain direction, one will inevitably encounter a teacher who will be able to help or assist or help with the next steps uh, because of one's focus and attention. Wherever attention, energy flows, where attention goes. Mm. So when you bring your attention to anything in particular, other synchronous influences conspire if you like to look at it that way to create an aha moment or a self-initiation or you know a rite of passage even in which one goes through a series of experiences in order to arrive at a new state of seeing or being or a new state of consciousness and that's what a rite of passage or an initiation is it's taking you from one level of consciousness to a an expanded level of consciousness and as I said, it can also be used retrogressively. It can be used to diminish consciousness as well. But let's just focus and, and uh, you know, keep on the thing of, of, ex- of expansion. Hmm. So, um, so I think that, that very definitely uh, self-initiation can happen. But mm-hmm. I don't think there's a formula for it. Yeah. I think that it's just a matter of intention, focus, dedication, dedication. to a particular topic mm-hmm. or subject. Or Yes, absolutely. Discipline of follow through with the attention that you have to study a particular thing, like if you're studying meditation, for example, to have the discipline to meditate every day for a period of time and to follow the instructions of, you know, which are just instructions to get you to a place of meditation, like watching mm-hmm. your breath or you know, being aware of, of, of certain other bodily processes like you taught Vipassana. These are just devices to get you into the state of meditation. But once you are in that state of meditation, which is essentially a state of no mind, then things happen of their own volition and experiences Mm -hmm. will come that you don't cause and you are not the the generator of those experiences. They arise within your consciousness. And many of those experiences come arrive in the role of self initiation. Now, if you have a teacher, a guru, a master on the outside, these people are like elder brothers or sisters mm. they're like they're like guides they're there to make sure that whatever arises happens in a good way for you but they're not the ones who initiate you even mm. though we often think yes i was initiated by my guru yeah. but the guru was there to create the right circumstances and mm. the right conditions where the initiation can arise within one's own being
3: Brought Because context in truth,
2: <laughs> yeah exactly it's all about that so <laughs> certainly one doesn't have a teacher, if one is a hermit in, in the forest, mm-hmm. self-initiation can occur, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But often in our society, because we're social beings and we have mystery schools, clubs, religions, affiliations, we come together with a common purpose mm-hmm. and a common intent to devise and create uh, to, you know, uh, you know, ways to, and means to, to create the right conditions and to for that initiation to occur mm-hmm. and so when that happens this is often done through the agency of ritual mm-hmm. and ceremony so we create the ritual and the ceremony to as a container to uh to allow the possibility of initiation to become very highly uh probable yeah. for the beings within the group so that's a, like a thing that we come together as a group with a group intention to initiate and there is always a hierophant A guru or a a facilitator who can hold the space Mm. uh, safe and protected for this process to to uh, to occur Mm. however it is uh, uh, the mistaken projection is often that it's the guru or the hierophant or whoever who is responsible for that when they're not Mm. they're just creating the right conditions and certainly their energy can assist in that occurring but you know all gurus if they if they really love their disciple they would love their disciple to become enlightened but they cannot make their disciple enlightened mm. all they can do is create the right conditions like growing a plant it all the right fertilizer the right soils the right conditions so that it happens of its own volition and that's the role true role of a master or guru a true master or guru will never uh create a, 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 bond, a like a confining like an attachment or a, a dependency upon the guru like my teacher used to say i come to you with open hands and I leave you with open hands because whatever you can receive from me is yours. I'm not bonding you or binding you to any, anything that I am. And yet there are many gurus who will set themselves up in that position as the as the catalyst or the priest through which the divine can only come through that person. Mm. And that's that's the mistake that religions have made because all religions, I believe, were born from sacred divine experiences that were had by individuals And then certain priests or uh, liaison officers between the divine and the people set themselves up and said, no, I've got the direct line to God. And here, I've got the direct line and people now i will pass it on to you. That's how religions were born. And a certain kind of dependency was born. Whereas a true master or guru will always say, I come to you with open hands. I leave you with open hands. Because it is your experience, your realization, your initiation you know and one can thank that teacher that guru for creating the right conditions and for having the love and the care and the compassion to even want to extend themselves because they already have reached and out of their love out of their compassion they want to help other beings reach as well and so that's their role but they can never no matter how much they want to give it Mm. to you they cannot and anyone who tells you so is a false guru a, a true guru will always say, "I can create the right conditions, and I, and in my energy field, it may become, you know, easier, quicker to to do that for that initiation to occur. But that initiation always happens inside one's own deep innermost, not outside. It's an internal affair."
3: and whenever you're sharing, <laughs> I'm learning. So the conditions always seem to be very ripe and very right for me at the very least when you share. Um, so, yeah, just to sort of give you my deepest gratitude for everything you continue to foster and nourish within me. Um, and not just within me, with my community here in Melbourne, our community um, and all over the world, the work that you're doing continues to... You know i really i i've we've discussed this before but i've met people across the world where we had no idea that we were connected to you and your music and your work and then all of a sudden we became really good friends and then we find this connection and it's like totally woo-woo but yet not surprising at all once we connect like once we have that realization and the ripples of the work you continue to put out in the world is beyond nourishing. And thank you so much for having this conversation with me at this particular juncture where I'm at. And uh, it's an absolute honour to share it on.
2: Amrit, mm. it's been an absolute joy and honour and a pleasure, as always, to, <laughs> to connect and to have these communications, these conversations with you. They're always so inspiring. And it brings me to my presence. And I feel that joy ri- <laughs> rising in my being, which is always a sign that something great is being <laughs> transmitted between <laughs> Both parties. So thank you for that. That's what I call the ring of truth. Thank you. Oh,
3: thank you for your blessings. Bless. Guys, if you guys want to tune into Darpan's work more, I'll put links to his albums and his SoundCloud in the YouTube uh, sorry, in the YouTube show notes below. And also, um, there's some really profound uh, invocations and stuff, which uh, just sonically definitely worth tuning into. And I'll put them to a link in the links below. There's also another really dear brother that creates some really beautiful mixes, which start with um, Darps' vocals. His name is Apakuna, and I'll put a link to his mixes below and also Darps' website. So if any of that hits your curiosity, please do check them out below. And uh, yeah, Darps, thank you so much again.
2: Thanks, brother. Thank you
3: thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the inspired evolution without you the inspired evolution tribe this podcast would not be what it is today thank you so much for your love and your support thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve it's truly inspiring if you haven't already done so Please subscribe to the inspired evolution on youtube the home of the inspired evolution's video podcast we release inspiring conversations such as this every week along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve honestly your subscription on youtube to the channel helps us out a great deal